0: So right now we're standing at one of the villages That's right. and we're standing on a slab of concrete which one day is going to be the worship center yeah. for this village. We have been needing badly at church. We have been meeting for some time just under a tree. There's not a lot of trees around here but uh, under a tree and in classrooms for our church services and uh, we, this will one day be our worship center for Laminadera Children's Village. Through the generosity of the people of Watoto Church and the generosity of Hope Community Church, we now have the money to finish this structure. So we are so blessed and excited. And to think that this is one day where the rebel armies used to fight, used to battle. In fact, even in the excavation of some of the buildings, the unearthing of skulls and pieces of bodies because of this is where that kind of stuff was taking place, but now it's the place where God's going to be glorified. That's right. And these young kids are going to grow up to be the future leaders of yeah. Uganda, the Christian leaders of yeah. integrity and character. We're so excited just to partner Amen. with you. And we look forward to standing here one day and worshiping with all of yes. you. Well, it's good to be back with you guys after a few weeks away. <clears throat> and uh, let me tell you, I appreciate the break. Um, it gives me a chance to get ahead of my studies, to, to recharge a little bit, refresh. You can probably tell I'm not that fresh right now. <clears throat> In fact, this is my third straight day of running a fever. I got something going on. I brought back Tuesday night from Uganda, and uh, we're going to try to get through this. By the way, the good thing about having a fever is you, you really can't be held responsible for what you say. And I went to the doctor and I said, you know, I don't care about the fever, but is there something that can help me talk? And he gave me this concoction, and uh, I will tell you, it included whiskey. Now, I, I normally don't drink whiskey, and uh, I tried it. didn't really help my throat, but I'm going to be honest with you. You look better than I remember. I'll tell you <laughs> that right now. <clears throat> I'm just kidding. You don't look any better. Uh... uh This is where I've been the last five weeks. I went to Uganda where we dedicated the worship center. It was incredible. Came back. Three days later, we got on a plane and went to Haiti where we began to explore the possibility of starting our first international campus in Port-au-Prince. Came back and spent a few days with the family. Then went back to Uganda with our two Haitian pastors. Also, Chris and Jackie Jones from Ship of Zion down in Southeast Raleigh to look and talk about what's possible when God is moving. But even though the past five weeks have been a little bit of hectic, without the deadline hanging over my head uh, of having to speak every weekend, i got to tell you, God has been showing me some very specific things about our future. I think it's because I've just had more time to pray, more time to reflect. I've had more time to process and pray and just to rest and, and, and just to let things just kind of wash over in my mind. <clears throat> and when it comes to Hope Community Church, I think the vision is clearer than ever. And I got to tell you this, I'm entering into my 20th year since I started the church and I'm more excited now about where God is taking us than I've ever been in my life. By the way, the journey we've been on up to this point hasn't been bad. Uh, You look at all of our campuses, our Sunday morning attendances, every one of our campuses, we're pretty much at capacity. And that's creating some problems, some challenges that we're going to be dealing with over the next few weeks. We're going to be saying more about that But what a great problem to have, right? On top of that, uh, the number of people in our church that have connected in small groups. uh, We had about 100 small groups a year ago. Now we have over 300 where people are getting connected together. In fact, I got this letter. I wanna share it with you. It says, Dear Pastor Mike, for the past four years, we've driven to Hope from Sanford to serve and attend services every weekend. On these drives, we often discuss whether we'd get lost in the crowd if something personal happened since the church is so large. Unfortunately, we had the opportunity to find out three weeks ago when our 17-year-old son was struck by a vehicle and killed instantly. The good news is that we cannot imagine a church being any more supportive than hope was. The first people to arrive at our home after the word got out was our small group. They brought us dinner, made phone calls to the church to get things in motion, and provided encouragement and support. The following day, we had to go to the funeral home to identify our son's body. We came home to four the Kid City staff who had driven down to love on us, cry with us, offer prayer, and begin planning the service. Working with Brian and Brian and Laura and Melissa in Kid City has always been rewarding because they constantly show their appreciation of volunteers, but this went way beyond anything we expected. It was like being in another small group We knew we only needed to ask, and that request would be taken care of. And then there was a service. If I had a dollar for everyone who commented on what a beautiful service it was, we could drill another well in Africa. Melissa, she was my bouncer. We had a signal in case I needed to be rescued from conversations. Laura was my mother hen providing fresh tissues every few minutes and making me sit down when I became overwhelmed. Pastor Donnie did an incredible job of leading the service. Brian offered a personal experience he had with TJ that made everyone smile. Brian had the strength to read two of the letters, the last being from my husband. Following the service, there was even more Kid City staff who came back to our home to ensure we prepared. We were prepared for the arrival of family and friends. So you see, it's all about making wise choices. We chose to be in a small group and they are an extended family. We chose to volunteer and the Kid City staff is just another part of our family everyone we serve with at the 415 service on Saturday, from the registration people to the people in our small group have offered support and comfort. If we were not part of a small group and did not volunteer, I'm sure it would have been much easier to get lost in the crowd. It's been an overwhelming time for us and it still doesn't seem all that real, but we know that with the love and support of our friends and family and church, we will get through this. And because our faith in God we know we'll see TJ again someday in our eternal home. That's the power of connecting. And if you still, you're dragging your feet, you haven't connected yet, that's just another good example of why you need to be connected in a small group. So we have 300 small groups now. Uh, Last week, our weekend offering was $250,000. Now, let me tell you why that's so significant. It's still in August where a lot of people are spending Jesus' money on vacations. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) $250,000. That tells you that financially God has blessed us and and we're healthy. But you know, this is what really excited me this week. We have a $10 million budget. Do you know this year we have given $1.5 million to ministries in our local and global community, ministries outside of Hope Community Church. That's 15%. $1.5 million dollars. We've had over 200 people who paid their own money, raised their own support to be ambassadors of God and hope around the world in mission trips. On top of that, if you were here last week and you saw the video of all the lives that are being changed and are being impacted through the ministry of Hope Community Church, and that's good because that means that we're accomplishing our mission. What is it? Love people where they are and encourage them to grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. And we believe if we do that, that we can indeed reach the triangle and change the world. But let me just tell you, this is what I want to talk about for a few minutes. For that to happen, it is going to require focus. It's going to require harmony. It's going to require oneness. It is going to require unity among our church family, our congregation, like never, ever before. So that's what I want to talk about this weekend. Not uniformity, but unity. See, uniformity, everybody is dressed the same and think the same. We've always had room around here for disagreement, but at the end of the day, there's always been unity. Do you know that in 19 years of business meetings at Hope Community Church, we've had one no vote? One. I don't know that there's a church on the planet that could talk about having that kind of unity, but God has blessed us. So I wanna talk about the unity it's gonna take for us to arrive at the destination where I believe that God is taking us. By the way, if you're new, it's kind of the way we operate around here. Proverbs 16, 9 says this, in his heart, a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his step. We believe that. We can make all the plans we want, but at the end of the day, God is going to determine where we're gonna go. So we would much rather, instead of spending a lot of our time, investing a lot of our energy, coming up with a a 10, a 15, or even a 20-year plan, we would much rather in leadership spend time with God, finding out what is he doing and how can we join him and be a part of what he's doing. And when we discover that and we go with him, God will take us on an amazing journey. And if we are a unified body, it's incredible what we can do. In fact, when Ronald Reagan was in the White House, he had this little plaque on his desk. I now have it on my desk, it says this, there is no limit to what a man can do or where he can go if he doesn't mind who gets the credit. And I thought that's true of a church. There's no limit to what a church could do. There's no limit to where a church could go if we don't mind who gets the credit. So if you have your Bible, that's what I'm going to talk about. Uh, the book of Joshua, turn over to Joshua chapter 1. And as you're turning there, let me just kind of bring you up to speed. This, I'm not going to tell you what's in here, but let me just get a little drink here. You know the story of the Hebrew people, they were slaves for 430 years. And God said, that's enough. So through a burning bush, he speaks to Moses on the backside of the Midian desert where Moses is working for his father-in-law at 80 years old, taking care of his sheep. I mean, you're talking about a dead-end job, right? And God says to the burning bush, Moses, you're gonna be the deliverer. You're gonna go back to Egypt and you're gonna lead my people into the promised land, the land that I am going to give in them. And if you know the story, Moses argued and he complained, but finally he submitted. He went back to Egypt and he went before Pharaoh and he said, Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh said, I don't think so. And so the 10 plagues came and after the 10th plague, finally Pharaoh said to Moses, get those people and get them out of here. Uh, Historians tell us that by this point, there were probably about two to two and a half million Jews who were enslaved in Egypt. So Moses begins the exodus and they go across the Red Sea and they begin to make their way, get this now, it's only an 11 day journey on foot to the promised land and they make it there and they get to Kadesh Barnea and they're looking over into the land that God has already promised them and they send the spies into the land and the spies come back and say, fortified cities, giants in the land, strong armies, 10 of the spies say, we shouldn't go in Caleb and Joshua said, we should go in. They didn't go in. And you remember, to punish them, because of their lack of faith, they wandered in the desert for 40 years. Now, when you get to Joshua chapter 1, most of these uh, Hebrews we're looking at, they were born during that 40-year wilderness experience. I'm sure that some of them remember when Moses parted the Red Sea. I'm sure some of them remember when Moses got water out of a rock. I'm sure some of them remember the manna that came down from heaven, but most of that generation has died off. In fact, if you look at Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 5, it tells us that by this point, Moses has also died. So we have this new generation that was born during 40 years of wandering through the desert, and they're back at Kadesh Barnea, and they're ready to finally move into the promised land, and they're ready to move under the leadership of their new leader. His name is Joshua. In fact, let me show you something. In Joshua chapter 1, God lets Joshua know that he's going to have his back. He says this in chapter 1, verse 5. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, you're going to notice a theme here. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Now notice this last phrase. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Now that doesn't mean that they're going to be rich. It means that if they will live this way, they're going to find themselves in the sweet spot of God's will. And what we're going to see in this story When you are in the sweet spot of God's will, you are invincible. When you are in the sweet spot of God's will, you have that God confidence that you can handle any challenge that comes your way. So Joshua, he steps up, he becomes the leader of the people. And I want you to see the amazing things that they could do together because they were unified. Let me give you the first sign of unity, uh, unified people, then we'll kind of unpack it. Here's the first one. You're gonna notice that they rallied around God and their leadership without fear. Now they've been on this journey for 40 years, but they still haven't got to the promised land. Now they're back in Kadesh Barnea. They're getting ready to go across the Jordan. It's within their grasp. And I want you to see how, how they respond to Joshua in chapter one, verse 16, if you have your Bible. Joshua lays out the plan for going in. They said in verse, uh, verse 16, Whatever you have commanded us, Joshua, we will do. I mean, that's cooperation right there. Wherever you send us, we will go. That's availability. Just as we fully obeyed Moses, so will we obey you. Well, that's commitment. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Then he says this, they say this. Whoever rebels against your word and does not obey your words, whatever you may command them, will be put to death. I mean, that's loyalty right there. If they don't obey you, we'll put them down. And then he says this, they say this, Joshua, just be strong and courageous. So there's encouragement. There's cooperation. There's availability. There's commitment. There's loyalty. There's encouragement. And it's easy to make those kinds of statements when there's nothing on the line. But if you've ever read the book, you know that the plot thickens. Uh, Up to this point, it's been fun and games. When they were ready to cross the Jordan River, it opened up, they walked across. Nobody's had to fight yet. But immediately as they began to move into the Promised Land, they're confronted with the city of Jericho. And you may wonder, what's the big deal about Jericho? Well, for starters, it was strategic because of its location. It was located right in the center of Palestine, right in the middle of the Promised Land. And the Jews knew if we can take Jericho, it is gonna give us a tremendous military advantage. But if you grew up in church, If you went to Sunday school, you know that there was one huge obstacle to taking the city of Jericho. What was it? It was the wall. Now, thanks to archaeologists, we now know it wasn't just a single wall. It was a double wall. Uh, There was an outer wall that was about 20 feet high, about 6 feet thick. Then there was a 12-foot space. And then there was another wall that was 12 feet thick and 30 feet high. And that may not sound like a whole lot to us. But that's an enormous obstacle for people who aren't fighters. I mean, think about it. These guys have been slaves. Then they wandered in the desert for 40 years. So we know they're really, really good at being slaves. They're really, really good at making bricks. They're really, really good at walking in circles. Warriors, not so much. They're more like the French, Okay. So we get to verse 2. The Lord said to Joshua, see I have delivered Jericho into your hands. Joshua, before you do anything, understand it is a done deal. It is a foregone conclusion. Joshua, the victory is yours. And then beginning in verse 3, God gives some instructions to, uh, to Joshua how he's going to go about taking the city. Let's look at it, verse 3. He says, march around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. So you see Joshua, has got his clipboard, he's taking notes, right? One time a day, six days, okay? Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horn in front of the ark, not Noah's ark, okay? Way too big to carry, okay? It's the ark of the covenant. You probably saw the movie. On the seventh day, we're gonna change it up a little bit. We're gonna march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear the trumpets, have all the people shout, Then the wall of the city will collapse. Let me tell you why this plan is so wonderful. It's so wonderful because it is so illogical. But I'm going to tell you something. Because I've been in leadership, I can speak for Joshua. The real challenge is when Joshua now has to go to the people and tell them the plan. Can you imagine that scene? Okay, guys, this is what we're going to do. Monday morning, tomorrow morning, we're going to get up. Everybody put your walking shoes on. We're going to walk around the city. Okay, what else? That's it. Tuesday, we're going to do it again. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, we're going to do it again. Make sure you get a good night's sleep on Saturday. Because come Sunday, we're going to market around it seven times. And the priest is going to blow the trumpets. And we're going to shout. And the walls are going to fall down. Any questions? <laughs> but what's really interesting here, this plan is totally illogical. It makes no sense whatsoever. You don't read of any reluctance you don't read of any resistance in this entire story. You don't see somebody going back to their tent and saying, ain't nobody got time for that. You don't see that. Not, you, know. you don't hear of anybody saying, this is stupid. Joshua's lost his mind. Where's Moses? Now Moses, man, that was a leader. You don't hear that. They're like, all right, lace up your walking shoes. Let's get going. Now, as I said earlier, these aren't the Israelis of the 21st century. I mean, you look at Israel wrong now, they will just let wear you out. I mean, they just dare you to point at Islam. You know what I'm saying? These guys, they're not fighters, they're backpackers. They've been out walking, wandering around the desert for 40 years. They walked through the Red Sea, they walked across the Jordan. Now they're getting ready to walk around a city. It's like, okay, God's sitting up in heaven, looking at him thinking, what have I got? Well, they're pretty good at walking. Let's go with their strength. Right. So they're going to they're, they're walk around. By the way, I always try to, and, I, and I've been to these ruins. It's quite interesting because it says they actually collapsed. And if you go to the ruins, they literally collapsed right on top of each other. But uh, can you imagine the, the, the guards at Jericho checking this scene out every day? Hey, Fred, here they come again. Well, there they go. You know, back to the camp, order a pizza, take a shower, do the same thing tomorrow. They do that every day for six days. Nothing changes. And then the seventh day comes. They follow the directions to a T. Seven times around. And according to verse 20, the trumpet sounded. The people shouted. The wall collapsed. Do you know what the moment of truth was? It was that seventh time around. And the trumpet sounded right before they shouted. Because you know they're thinking, man, if this doesn't play out like Joshua said it did, it's going to, we're going to look like a bunch of idiots, right? But they shouted, and the wall came down. And it's interesting, read the story yourself. Nobody's surprised. Which leads me to the second sign of unity. They accepted this new, unusual plan without any resistance whatsoever. I mean, it was an unusual strategy. It was an illogical strategy, but their attitude was like, well, let's just trust God and let's just do it. Let me just say something about our future. We're going to be talking about new campuses. We're going to be talking about new ministry partners. We're going to be talking in the next few weeks about new property. We're going to be talking about new opportunities, new strategies, new ministries. And there are also going to be some new unknowns And some question marks. But let me just say this. Because God has blessed us in the past. I'm just naive enough to believe that he's going to continue to bless us. But the bottom line is this. We're going to be trying to do some things, some stuff that we've never done before. But I want you to understand this because we believe this is where God is taking us. So we're just moving forward with that absolute confidence every step of the way that God is in. Control. I mean, think about it. Joshua has never seen this strategy before. But he stands up before the people and says, Let's do it. And, and, and they do it. And I'm just simple enough to believe that the same kind of thing can and will happen with us as we trust God on this journey. And that's just the exciting part of being a unified ministry on the move. Well, you get to chapter eight. And now they come to the city of AI. And they're a little gun shy because, to be honest with you, they showed up at AI. And they had their butt kicked because they didn't do it God's way. They were kind of like, you know, God said, I want you to do this. And they're like, God, you know what? We got it. We got it. We did a great job at, at Jericho. We got it. And let's be honest, we do the same thing. God shows up in our lives. God parts a Red Sea. God does a miracle. And we forget it was God. We start believing that it was because of our creativity, our ingenious that pulled it off. That's what happened with these people. We'll do it our way. And they suffered a huge defeat. But now they decided they're going to do it God's way. But understand, going against the city of Ai is going to employ another new strategy. It's going to be altogether different than Jericho. So here's the third sign of unity. They worked as a team to accomplish their objective without jealousy or competition. Joshua chapter 8. It's an ambush plan. This is what Joshua tells the guys. I'm going to take 30,000 of my best fighting men and you're going to go hide out in the woods behind the city of Ai. I'm going to take another group of men and we're going to attack the city. Full frontal assault. When the soldiers from Ai come out to fight us, we're going to yell retreat and we're going to run for the hills and they're going to follow us. They're going to chase us. When they begin to chase us, you 30,000 hiding behind the city. You come around, you take the city. We've got them trapped in the middle, we will wipe them out. Great plan. But this is what I want you to remember some of the people would get to be with Joshua, some of the people would have to serve under other leaders, some of the people would be in the forefront, some would be in the background, some would be in the shadows. In other words, they're all involved. But at the end of the day, only one group really gets the spotlight. Only one group really gets the glory, and that's the group that's with Joshua. But it doesn't seem to bother them. In fact, you don't find anyone in chapter 8 saying, I want to be in this group. I want to be in Joshua's group. You don't see that. You don't see anybody saying, I want to ambush. I'm really good at ambushing. I'm from a long line of ambushers, right? You don't see any of that. They worked as a team to accomplish their objective without jealousy or competition. And they were able to pull off the impossible because they were unified. Remember the quote, there's no limit to what can happen. There's no limit to where you can go if you don't care who gets the credit. Let's wrap it up. Chapter 10, see one more sign of unity. These guys are tired, they're exhausted. I mean, they did all that walking around Jericho they got to Ai, they had the emotions of being defeated and then the physical exhaustion of going back and having to attack again. But now the end is in sight. They got one more battle, but it is a huge battle. In fact, the five kings of the Amorites, these are the really bad guys, they figure out the only way to stop this Hebrew juggernaut that is moving through Palestine, moving through the promised land, is to combine their forces. So they amassed this huge army. Look at chapter 10, verse 8, it says this. But the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. And then it says this, after an all-night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. The Lord threw them into confusion before Israel, who defeated them in a great victory at Gibeon. But Israel just keeps up pursuing these bad guys. So look at verse 11. As they fled before Israel on the road down from Beth Horon to Azekah, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them from the sky, and more of them died from hailstones than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. So, what's happening here? God knows they're exhausted. He knows they're tired. He knows they're weary. They're suffering from battle fatigue. And God says, "Let me just step in." And God comes to their the rescue. And these Hebrew people. They just sit back and watch as God sends down (laughs) hailstones and he finishes off the enemies. And guess what? Here's the fourth sign of unity. As their trust in God grew and their unity increased, they felt invincible. As their trust in God grew and as their unity increased, they began to feel invincible. Now I'm gonna be honest with you, I get that a little bit because I've been here since the beginning. I remember getting kicked out of the school when we had to raise some money just to rent a building and how somehow we came up with enough money to, to, to pay the rent and, and, and a deposit and buy chairs and, and do everything we needed to do. And then we began to grow and we wanted to buy the building and no bank in its right mind was going to lend us money. No way. So we found a Christian organization. They came down from Indiana. They met with us. And we said, we really want to buy this building. I think it was a total of like 1.6 million. And as much as they loved us and as much as they were impressed in what we were trying to do, they looked at us and they said, there is no way we could ever go back to our board and convince them to lend you this money. In fact, we went out to dinner. It used to be Jasper's on Cary Parkway at Preston Corners. And the man who was there meeting with us, he was in such turmoil over wanting to lend us the money, but it just making no sense whatsoever. He could not even eat his dinner. That's cool. And they lent us the money. And we grew from a church of about 400 people to a group of about 1,200 people. Do you know we had less than 100 parking spots? And we had 1,200 people. I mean, that's, that's a miracle right up there with the Red Sea right there, I'm telling you. Like a clown car on Sunday when everybody came to church at Hope back in those days. We thought, we need some property. And you know the story, we prayed, and a businessman gave us this property, but you know, property's not worth a whole lot if you can't build on it. We still didn't have any money. So we called this organization that had lent us money before, and we said, would you lend us money again? How much do you need? Oh, about $10 million. (laughs) Nope. (laughs) Can we talk about it? Nope. And finally they called us back and they said, okay, we'll work with you. But you got to raise $2.5 million. Now, in those days, we, we were just poor. No sugar daddies in Hope. A lot of college kids, a lot of young families with kids. And I knew, I knew that wasn't going to happen. So we got together a little banquet. We, I, got, I got the list of like the top givers at the church. Because I thought if I can get them on board... Then maybe I can get everybody else on board. But I was working with a consultant. He says, you're going to need one and a half million dollars from this small group of people. So there was about 120 of us that got together for a little banquet. And I cast some vision. And these are my peers. These are my friends. Our kids are growing up together. I'm looking at these losers. I'm like, there ain't no way in the world there's one and a half million dollars in these deadbeats. You know what I'm saying? We prayed. We didn't get one and a half million. We got 1.8 million. We went back to our congregation, the other thousand. They were able to scrape together 700,000. We got our two and a half million. We move here. We run out of parking. It's kind of a trademark of hope. Crossroads forward up the street. Mr. Boyd builds a new building, calls me. says, I got a piece of property here. It's worth about 10 million bucks. I'll sell it to you for 3.8. That's what I need out of it. We went to Grace. We said, you want to split it? They said, sure. We sat down. We raised money. One family, I bet they're here tonight, this weekend. Went to the retirement fund. People sacrificed. And in a week, we had the money. And the thing is, When that happens over and over again, your faith in God just grows. And all of a sudden, you just kind of, not in an arrogant way, not in a cocky way, you just, you start to feel invincible. You start to feel like, man, if, if God really is in this thing, who's to say? I want you to notice how Joshua's faith has grown. Chapter 10, look at verse 12. On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, Joshua said this, O sun, stand still. You tried that lately? <laughs> I'd like to pray, O sun, come out this summer. Right. O sun, stand still over Gibeon. O moon, over the valley of Agilon. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on its enemies. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. You see, I'm learning the same thing that Joshua learned, and it's this. When God comes to your assistance at those critical times of life, you start to feel invincible. Now, see, this, this is the power of unity. You know? My point is this, when there's unity as we're following, not me, as we're following God where he is leading. Anything's possible. Now, this is a great story. Here's my question as I wrap it up. How do we avoid the things in our congregation that sow disharmony so that we can experience the power of unity? I mean, when you think about it, there used to be just one church. Remember that? Acts chapter 2, Peter preached. 3,000 people became Christians. Boom, one church. Now there's 350,000 churches in America, over 350 different denominations. I was in Jerusalem, went over to Bethlehem to see the, the, the place where Jesus is born, Church of the Nativity. There's actually four churches there on that spot. And they regularly, the priests have fist fights. You know, whatever happened to the unity of the body of Christ? Things like competition, arrogance, pride, How do we avoid those things so we can keep the unity that God has given us? Let me just give you a few things. Let's work harder than ever at understanding one another. Let's be proactive about it. Let's take the high road. You know what I've noticed about myself? I tend to judge people by their actions, but I want them to judge me by my intentions. Aren't you like that? I want them to go easier on me. You know I would have never meant to do that, right? They don't, by the way. They don't judge me on my intentions. In fact, while we were away, we were at the beach one morning, and Laura, to encourage me, uh, found a website where people could go on and they could critique churches. And she began to read to me all the reviews that people had about Hope Community Church. It was not pretty. According to the reviews, we're a country club. We don't care about anybody but ourselves. We don't teach the Bible. We don't stand for truth. And you would not believe how many people have left Hope Community Church over me making fun of cheerleading. (laughs) Or the Tar Heels. Or Fuquay. Or women who watch The Bachelor. So let me tell you something about myself. I take what I do very, very seriously. I don't take myself very seriously. So, things I think it's okay to kid about, I'm learning not everybody thinks it's okay to kid about, you know. Always laugh. I mean, who am I to make fun of anybody? I live in Apex. <laughs> Pick a good living. Are you kidding? I grew up in Durham, East Durham. I'm a Duke football fan. I mean, who am I to make fun of anyone, right? <laughs> so let's not take ourselves so seriously. What do you say? But let's take what we do very, very seriously. And let's, let's just decide we're gonna give one another the benefit of the doubt. If someone says something to you or looks at you the wrong way, let's I don't think they meant that. You know what helps me, and I, I I do this a lot when I go out to dinner or lunch and I get horrible service. This is what I just stop and I say, you know what? Maybe my waitress, maybe she's got a sick kid at home today and she's worried about it, or maybe she's wondering is she going to make enough of a tip today to pay a certain bill, or maybe she's not feeling well but she can't afford to take the day off. I'm just going to give her the benefit of the doubt. What if we treated one another that way? And you have my word. I'm going to work harder and harder to be nicer. For unity, for unity. And uh, I, I even watched the Bachelor finale with my wife. And it was stupid. Hey, it's a journey. It's a journey. It's a journey. Second, let's be more intentional about forgiving and accepting one another. I'm starting a brand new series next week. I've been pastoring for 30 years. I am more excited about this series than any series I have ever done. In fact, if there was ever a series that I would ever consider turning into a book, it's this series. It's called Love Different. And we're gonna talk about how do we actually get to the place where we can love people in our lives, in our lives the way Jesus Christ has loved us. It's really going to be a theological study of biblical love. And I'm excited to see where God is going to take us on this journey. But as I've been working on this series, this is what I thought one day. How hypocritical it is, how phony it is for us to say in a mission statement, we're going to love people where they are. And you know what? We do. You can walk into the doors of hope, your life's a mess, it's a disaster, it's chaos. And we will say, God loves you and we love you and we don't care where you've been and we don't care what you've been up to and God doesn't care where you've been and God doesn't care what you've been up to. So we'll treat people that way. But in our day-to-day relationships, we don't treat one another that way. Isn't that a little hypocritical? Well, I don't like people that color. He's got a weird accent. I don't like the way she dresses. Well, they don't believe exactly like I believe. You're the worst, by the way. They don't cross every theological T and dot every I like I do, right? Or maybe you were serving with somebody and they hurt your feelings. You yeah, know, forgiveness and acceptance—they're not feelings; they're decisions. They're acts of the will. And there's nothing more important for maintaining unity than being willing to accept and forgive, send the offense away. I'm just gonna let that roll off my back like water off of a duck. Third, let's start giving. And I'm not talking about your money, so just relax, okay? When you feel taken advantage of by someone, When someone hurts you or offends you, I challenge you, give them your prayers. We're gonna see next weekend as we start this new series, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 44, he said, try this, love your enemies and while you're at it, pray for those who persecute you. Hmm. You know what I've discovered? It's impossible to pray for someone and at the same time be hostile toward them. So when someone's getting on your last nerve, pray for them. When someone is getting on your last nerve, give them acts of kindness, but go slow. You don't wanna freak them out They wonder what the world's up to, right? Just ease into it, right? Now, can you imagine the example we could be to the rest of the world or even the triangle, if we work together with this kind of unity. Jesus said this in John 13, 35, they will know you are my disciples if you compete and fight and compare. Didn't say that. He said, they'll know you're my disciples if you love one another, if there's that kind of unity. At the end of the day, that's what we need, unity. And when it works the way God designed it, it's an amazing thing to watch. Now mark this date down. Sunday night, September 15th, 615, it's our vision night. I want you to be here. It's gonna impact every campus, every campus. We're gonna extend our budget. So we're not gonna spend a lot of time on the budget. We wanna get on an annual yearly budget. So our budget normally ends on August 31st. We're gonna take about two minutes to extend it through the end of the year. We're not changing anything so that we can get on a budget and then come later in the fall, we'll present a new budget for January 1. So that's just, just to get that out of the way. We're gonna approve some new elders. This is huge because these are the people who lead our church. We're gonna be talking about a new facility for one of our campuses. We're gonna be talking about new property. We're gonna be talking about expansion. We're gonna be talking about some new ministry opportunities. And I want you just to decide right now, I'm going to be there. And I'll tell you this. It's exciting. And it's just a little bit scary. But that's okay. This is what Bill Heibel said last week at the Leadership Summit. Every significant vision that God births in you is going to put your courage to the test. I'll just warn you now, where God is taking us... <laughs> It's gonna put our courage to the test. But I think the victory is gonna be incredible. And while you're thinking about that, next Friday night, right here, for all the campuses right here, we're having a prayer and praise night. And we're just gonna worship and we're gonna pray about our future and where God is taking us for unity, for resources, for wisdom. That's Friday night, 7 o'clock to 8:30, right here in the auditorium, all of our campuses. It would be one of the most important things you could do. I hope you'll be here with us. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you that you would even begin to allow us to partner with you. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you never give up on us. And Father, I thank you for the staff here. I thank you for the team. I thank you for the elders. I thank you for the volunteers, the ones who give and serve. Father, I thank you for the ones who just smile, the ones who invite. I'll never forget Father meeting a lady one time who introduced me to the 100th person she had invited to Hope Community Church. Father, we don't wanna be a country club. We wanna be on mission with you and give us the unity we'll need to do great and mighty things with you. In your name we pray.